Hi, and welcome to our fourth Universalist service video. My name is Amber Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. I use she and her pronouns, and thank you so much for joining us. What follows are some selections from our service on July 25th, 2021, a service entitled, When is a Door, Not a Door? A message delivered by the Reverend Jill Bowden. In this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the reflection and following that, we hope you'll join us for a lively discussion where we go deeper into the service theme together. You're invited to check out our video and our audio podcast each week. It's posted on our website, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, as well as many of your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what you see, we hope you'll give us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the shares, and subscriptions, these help to spread Fourth Universalist Media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is located on the lands of the Munsi Lenape peoples, we acknowledge that their community, past, present, and future. Fourth Universalist Society acknowledges that it was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many DIPOC peoples, including those whose land this institution is located on. With this acknowledgement, we seek to continue the process of working to dismantle the ongoing legacies of settler colonialism, white supremacy, as well as other forms of oppression. We invite you to join us in this work as well. Thank you again for watching our video or listening to our podcast version. We begin with our reading. by the Lebanese-American writer and poet Khalil Gibran. And a woman who held a babe against her bosom said, speak to us of children. And he said, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward nor tarries with yesterday. You are the boughs from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and afar. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, he loves also the bow that is stable. Here ends the reading. Thank you, Patty. July 20th, 1969 was the day that human beings first walked on the moon. Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin stepped out onto the moon's surface 
watched with awe and amazement by millions as it was televised. That was a big deal in 1969 for all the world to share. It was also the day that I learned that I was pregnant with my second child, my daughter, Joni. My first thoughts on watching the astronauts descend onto the moon's surface and then leave so many footprints in the dust of that distant and yet intimate partner of the earth were that my child to come would never know a world in which it was impossible for people to go to the moon. It would probably be taken for granted in a much more generous and thrilling example than the threat of nuclear annihilation that was for my generation. Humans going out into the universe to benefit the world, not to destroy it. We did not know that the world would turn away from space for many years, that some people would not believe that it had happened at all, nor did we have any inkling of the thousand wonderful, terrible, awesome, and terrifying events that would occur since that day 52 years ago. And that's probably a good thing. If any of us knew the exact nature of the challenges waiting for us in the time to come, we would probably be intimidated or at least fearfully challenged to take those necessary next steps. When is the door not a door? You know the old joke, but what is hiding behind that door? We are not always conscious of our deeper motivations and our actions may not always match our stated intentions. That old groaner, as my father would say, was probably one of the first jokes you ever heard. It's kind of entry level language that lets us know that we can play with our words and use them for more than the first dictionary definition. It's also a great pun when it's a jar that has to be heard and not read to be understood. Our lives are a gift. And one of the greatest joys of any gift is to be able to share it with others. When we give the gift of life to our children, we hope for the awe and the wonder, the mystery and the beautiful to be part of their lives. And also the humorous. We communicate as human beings in so many ways. The most deeply developed connection, I believe, perhaps even more than physical touch, and we've experienced this during the COVID pandemic, is through shared language. Words can be serious and funny, sharp and gentle, informative and purposefully vague or deceitful. We use other encoded social cues, body language and gestures to fill out the truth behind the words, but language is the entry point. We put conditions around our verbal communications that are part of our social conditioning, please and thank you, and even hello and goodbye. These are encoded with 
shared understandings of the purpose and the meaning behind them. When we put conditions around our communications, when we give a gift that has strings attached, we have hidden agendas behind our words that limit the gift of ourselves. You see, when you give a gift, you must take your hands off it. The life you have given to your children, like the gift you yourself received, is yours or theirs to do with as they will. Unsaid obligations and encoded messages are an injustice. It is antithetical to the beautifully developed lesson we heard this morning from the poet Khalil Gibran. In another poem, Gibran furthers this message by saying, hold your children with open arms so they always know they can come home to you. We are learning so much about encoded messages as we delve deep into anti-racism work. We have actually used encoded language without understanding we were doing so. And it started in childhood and with our children. Language can be used to control and direct relationships, both for good reasons and nefarious ones. And we know this. And how does being conscious of this change how we conduct ourselves and our relationships? How can the principles of mindfulness help us to become more fully ourselves than we already are, to live into and out of the mindset and heart set of the people that we want to be. Being conscious of ourselves, our motives, our social conditioning helps us to be better communicators and better human beings. Being mindful of the use of language is a great place for parents to start to develop responsible citizens for the future. Like most lessons, it is the most useful if both people can stay engaged and if it is mutually enjoyable. The gift of grandchildren is especially precious. Gibran said in our reading, and I quote, your children are not your children, they are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself, close quote. If that is so, how doubly precious is it to see what your children have done with the life you gave them? They have paid it forward for another generation. The daughter of my daughter, whose name is Skye, and I always wonder if my daughter unconsciously directed towards Skye's name because of being born in an age when space flight was a reality. Sky shares my sense of humor. Sky told me this story last week that she went with a friend to visit a bereaved relative. Her stories always pull me in because they invariably start out as personal. The relative spoke of her loss for quite some time, and then her friend put her hand on the person's arm and said, Plethora. Her relative hugged her and said, that means a lot. I waited for more, but that was it. 
I must admit it was a good three beats before I got it. And I will just leave it there for you, but see me at coffee hour if we need to talk more. Guy is a precious gift to me, as are all my grandchildren. I work very hard to be conscious of giving them unconditionally the gift of a full heart and open hands. We gave them, children and grandchildren, the gift of life. We teach them what we know. And we also show them what we don't know. I know there were times when I was growing up that I said to myself, when I have children, I'm never doing that. Sometimes we make mistakes and sometimes we learn what we still need to learn because we're not done yet either. The brilliant Nobel laureate Toni Morrison said in an essay about chaos that there are two possible responses, naming and violence. Heaven knows we have more than enough of that in our world. Morrison then proposed a third response, stillness. She says, these are her words, Stillness is what lies in awe, in meditation. Stillness also lies in passivity and dumbfoundedness. The refusal to name in order to contemplate the mystery, the message of chaos's own inscription. In the refusal to do violence to, the refusal to conquer, to exploit, but to confront to enter, to discover, as it were, of what this presence was or could be made." End quote. Toni Morrison's examples speak to the insidiousness of built-in racism in the United States. I would like to include another application, and that is the open understanding of the gift of life. As Morrison says, unmarred by judgment or pragmatism that would find something to do, to extend, to apply, and ultimately to subsume. And here I paraphrase the naming and the violence in the chaos of our communications in this world. Be the change you wish to see and start at home with mindful communication. Let it be free and joyful, and with open heart, open mind, and open arms, so they know they can always come home again. Before we go, here's one more bit of communication silliness. What did rapper 50 Cent do when he was hungry? 58. May it be joyfully so, my friends, in this and in all worlds. Salam, shalom, om shanti, blessed be, aho, amen, and amen. So I'm really excited to get to sit down today with Reverend Jill Bowden, who had a message that was about a plethora of doors. <laughs> 
Reverend Jill, would you uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Maybe include your pronouns for those who might not know you. Uh, yes, plethora. That means a lot. Thank you so much, Amber. Uh, I am the Reverend Jill Bowden. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I will say that I came out as a lesbian woman when I was 29 years of age after having been married to a man and having two children. I always say it's a good thing that I had those children when I did, because if I'd waited, I probably wouldn't have. My life took a drastic turn. But um, it's also given me a lot of opportunities to look at the world from many perspectives and perhaps to stand back and realize that all these perspectives exist. So um, I love to play with words. Puns are my favorite form of humor. And uh, it causes my family some uh, groaning and embarrassment at times. But uh, we have a good time with it. And the use of language, of course, is is foundational to all human beings. Definitely. The, uh... I think poor, poor Reverend Schuyler uh, was not, you know, when, when he hired me last year, did not expect perhaps that I loved my puns and, and my marketing so much, you know, that, um, or that I, you know, got to do, if it's not a pun, I got to have like an alliteration or, you know, I got to come up with some sort of creative branding. Um, so yes. I, I feel you on the love, on the love <laughs> of puns. Um, but, you know, you, you speak about being a parent and, um, you know, as, as a trans woman who had kids before starting hormones. And I, I, mm -hmm. I totally get that, that um, special opportunity of, of getting to think about language and parenting and stuff. And right. honestly, that was, um, besides the fact that, it, you know, it was at the beginning of the message, it was one of the first things that really stood out to me to want to discuss from this message was um, this idea of parenting, you know, as, as someone, you, you know, you with uh, grandchildren and me with only like a, a four and a seven year old, but still like that really, that really resonated with me, this idea that we, um, you know, some level, you know, we have to learn to let go of our, of our children. And that, that's, that, that's hard work. Yeah, it is. And as I was um, writing that message and as I was, I was thinking about how to present that, I thought, well, there's some parents who are going to argue with me here because they have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and they're saying, wait a minute, we're not letting go of anything. They don't even know how to cross the street yet. Well, yeah, right. And it's all proportional to who and where they are. Um, my, I had my children when I was 19 and 22. I was a very young mother. And I always said that I postponed my adolescence until I came out and I've been having the longest adolescence in record ever since then, because I just, I just refused to settle into one box and, and be one way. Um, I'm probably very Buddhist in that, in that I feel unattached to outcomes. Not that I don't care what happens, but so many things can happen that are outside my control. Mm. So stand in the awe and the wonder, watch those children come up with things. Those kids in the video for Colin this morning, totally free and unique. They spoke their mind from who they are right now. If you did that video again in six months, they'd be different people. So Definitely. kids, yeah. Yes, I mean, so like learning from kids, you know, I, 
besides the fact that I'm the DRE, I do, with, even with my own kids, try to, you know, really be conscious of, of learning from them and being in relationship with them as much as, you know, being, uh, you know, that it's not, not so much about authority as sometimes journeying together a little bit too. And like, you, you know, you mentioned not wanting to, to stick into boxes. And I think it's really easy at a, for a lot of parents. I know I've done it to like, you know, put your kid in a little bit of a box of like what you expect from them. I know when uh, when Asher was born, he was so drastically different from Jude. And at first, I, I like I didn't know what to do because I'm like, like, no, 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 this isn't like I, I know what to do with Jude. Me and Jude get along. We're good. And like me and <laughs> me and Asher kind of butted heads for like his first like year of life. But, you know, now I can't imagine my world without him. And, you know, it, it's important to open ourselves up to these to these new experiences as parents. Yeah. And to watch them develop as unique individuals, because you and Jude have a very particular relationship and you and Asher have another one. And they're two kids growing up in your household, but they are not growing up in the same family. They are at a different location in your family, an older child, a younger child, a sibling who has... I always said I was the oldest of three. And I always said that my parents gave me all the rules so that I could break them so that they'd be easier on my brothers. And they got spoiled rotten because my parents already saw, yeah, the kid doesn't have to do that. And they said, oh, go ahead. When it came to my younger brother, it's like, what, really? You aren't the parent who had me. What happened? Oh, yeah, I happened. <laughs> I was the, uh, I was the, I was technically the oldest. I did have an older half brother, but we didn't see him very often. Mm -hmm. But I was the the really good older sibling who then uh -huh. my my poor younger sister had to you know constantly be going to parent and teacher conferences and oh she's not quite a you know <laughs> not quite like like Ember. Um, so uh, you know uh, the interesting older sibling roles uh, that we can play in our families. Yeah, that's true. Breaking them in so that um, the younger ones are not facing the same sorts of barriers. Um, yeah, curfew. I had one. My baby brother, he never did. What? <laughs> yes, we've, we've gotten that a lot recently. Jude had his gastroenterologist prescribe him like a, a diet and we had to make him really eat. And in the meantime, Asher went from eating like everything to not quite eating as much and so, you know, Jude will do the, well, why doesn't he have to eat as much? It's like just young, younger brothers thing. Oh. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a younger brother who was allergic to milk. So we lived on a dairy farm. And, it's a little more complicated. Oh, yeah. Well, you haven't lived until you've seen green Kool-Aid on oatmeal. That was his choice. And he got to do anything he wanted because he couldn't have milk. Wait a minute, I want green Kool-Aid on my oatmeal. My mother said, have your milk, Never mind. Yeah, I feel Jude, I feel it. Uh, I'll, have to, I'll have to pass on that story, but then I'm, I'm a little bit worried that he might ask for, for some green Kool-Aid. Oh, uh, yes, well, orange Kool-Aid on Wheaties is ever so much better. So as we were preparing for this and going over some of these topics, you know, I mentioned that uh, in the introductions, I've started including like pronouns and I've started having the guests introduce themselves. Right. And I've also been including 
um, like land acknowledgement. And I've been thinking about other things in terms of accessibility and all of that kind of hit home as I thought about yeah. uh, in, in your message, you talked about being really conscious of our language, especially both as individuals, but also as like a community as fourth universalists. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's really important for us to, uh, I, you know, sometimes uh, I think I could have been a politician in another life, um, but, you know, thinking about how others are, you know, perhaps understanding what you're saying is, is an important thing to be developing, to be conscious of how others might be uh, receiving the words that we're saying or how we're saying yeah. them is, is really super important in, in community building. I agree. And that's why I wanted to tie it to our anti-racism work because there are so many things that we say without even thinking that are racist or sexist or ageist, any kind of ist you want to imagine. And it's just because we're not aware of the impact that we're having. I applaud you for including the land designations in, in things. And I made a note to myself to look it up because I just moved to Southern California. I have no idea what people were indigenous to this place. And I feel compelled to, to honor and respect that. I'll find out. I knew it was the Lenape people when I was in, in New York, but that's because of the history. But I haven't found that in Southern California, that the same sort of honoring is not happening in my environment here. Hmm. Well, so speaking of this change of environment, this kind of is a good pivot to another thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, confronting chaos. So uh, mm. the pandemic has brought a lot of chaos into a lot of our lives and prompted lots of uh, big life changes as well. Um, yes. And obviously you had a pretty big life change uh, in, in recent time. There was also, you know, uh, a change as a community to have a, a, a long distance, a digital uh, affiliate minister. Um, so it's kind of an interesting way that as a community, we're confronting some new realities. So you know, what are, how, how has this been experience been for you confronting the chaos of this move yeah. in the middle of a pandemic and all of that? Yeah. Um, huge, overwhelming. Um, I came to New York as a 19 year old bride and here I'll date myself in 1967. So I lived for 54 years in and around New York City. And I found my people there. I'm from a small farm town in Southwest Wisconsin where I don't think I ever really felt like I fitted in. I think I had a certain mindset and I don't know that my own social consciousness was ever really developed until I came to New York and found people who wanted to talk about things, about consciousness, about being willing to consider all sides of a question. Um, my family was very waspy. Do people still say that? White Anglo-Saxon Protestant. And you didn't talk about certain things. It was impolite to mention something that was off or not quite right. So we never talked about politics. We never talked about finances. We never talked about if your slip was showing, you couldn't even say that. I mean, that was just one of those things you didn't notice. It was impolite. I wanna talk about those things. And we do that at Fourth U. 
And as we, we've been doing more work on anti-racism, we've been doing more work in Black Lives Matter, we've doing more work with, with our welcoming congregation, which I'm very proud to be a part of that in our interweave group, and also with our sanctuary congregation. The floodgates on communication are wide open, and we all talk all the time about how they're still not open enough because everybody still doesn't feel like they're in the conversation. I love that the pandemic has let us grow Zoom and virtual communication so that I can be a virtual minister. I'm still on the staff, even though I've moved to Southern California. And I can bring that experience. I have my meditation group on Monday nights. I'm available for pastoral care via Zoom for our congregation. And people are very needy right now of care and support. Families are separated. I didn't see my children for almost a year and a half. I was working in a hospital in Manhattan and worked there for over a year under the pandemic. And then they changed leadership in my department. And I retired because they wanted their own people in the, the head positions. And I was the department director. So I retired eight years before I wanted to. And who does that? Um, a lot of people, it turns out, during the pandemic have had that experience. And at the same time, my daughter was buying a new home and she said, mom, you're going to come and be with me. So after 54 years in New York, here I am in Southern California and it's a whole different world. Um, negotiation is really the key and communication. We, we have our ups and downs, of course, but being able to say, hey, what did you mean when and not ignore it? like we used to do when I was a kid. We don't ignore things. I think that's a thing that, that we have in our world now that we didn't have in the world when I was growing up. Uh, I would say uh, as a fellow Midwesterner though, that I do think that some element of that is also like the, the, the Midwest nice too. Uh, New uh, York is just always a little bit better at being a little bit more direct and yeah. <laughs> letting you know what they're thinking. Um, after, after being in, in Michigan for like six weeks, I'm like, okay, I gotta get back to like my my New Jersey, New York self, and like I gotta get meaner, and I don't look at people anymore, and I you know, gotta I gotta get back out of the Midwest, nice. But you know, it, it is that that desire to like just uh, kind of skirt past topics. But yeah. as you talked about that, uh, I, it has me reflecting. I I may not be you know the manifest anything you want sort of person or the power of positive thinking sort of person, but. You know, as somebody who has uh, moved internationally and then also then moved into yeah. back internationally, back back home uh, to the U.S. during a pandemic, like you know, there there is something to be said about that that challenges can help you realize what you can accomplish. Like yeah. that that you know, I because because of the things that I had done, you know, I I think I do have like less limitations that I set on myself because I'm like, okay, look, I, I did this. If I can do this, what, what else can I do? Um, and you know, I think I think it's important as we confront this chaos to to learn to think higher of ourselves that we can yeah. that we can confront these things and we can 
make it through and we can uh, try our best to grow as, as best as possible. Yeah, that's a, a bit of communication that I am very proud of all of us who are in caring positions for having done during the pandemic. We didn't let it go underground and stay silent and say, okay, we just have to slog through this. We have been conscious of our stress and our pain and our grief at every stage. And I think we're going to come through this healthier because I hope God willing, that we're not going to have the sort of PTSD that you, yeah, knock on knock anything, on <laughs> um, that we're not going to have the kind of PTSD that could result from not talking about how you feel and the challenges mm -hmm. and the stresses you face. And what you say is very true. I'm going to share this with you. This is my notebook for life. It's about my 93rd one. And on the front of it, it says, smooth seas don't make skillful sailors. You need some storms so you can find out what you're capable of, as you were just describing. You need to go outside your comfort zone. And then when you go out there again, you can say, oh yeah, I did that. I went to Vietnam with my wife and two tiny little kids and we didn't just survive, we thrived. And we came back even better than we went. That's a strength that you will have through your whole life. Yes, yes, it was an experience. So <laughs> I suppose, and we, we pre-discussed this, so maybe you've had enough time to, to come up with something uh, in the spirit of the humor that was included in, in your message, your, mm -hmm. all of your puns. Oh, do you dear. have a final joke and or pun related humor to, to share with all of our listeners before we, uh, before we end this discussion. You know, jokes are the kind of a thing that you ask me to remember one and, and they're, they're gone. They're totally out of my, out of my head forever and forever. Um, and I even looked here at my book to see if there was anything in there, but this is the kind of thing that, uh, that you don't write down. You just, it grabs your funny bone and it pops up again when you, uh, when you get it. Um, and I remember a few that my father used to tell us, but I don't think uh, I will share any of those today. <laughs> understandable, understandable. Well, if any come to you, we can have a special, um, a special uh, recorded session just to oh. have like joke telling with the staff. Maybe we can, we can do this as a, as, as something when we come back, we can have uh, um, stand-up comedy from the fourth universalist staff team there you go that'd be great to start a staff meeting with that wouldn't it <laughs> there we go i think it sounds good we all have to come with our best joke and we'll record it and then we'll post it as a youtube video uh all right here we go <laughs> that might require some editing but we'll do our best <laughs> hey, that's what you keep me around for all my all my video editing here <laughs> Well, it was wonderful to get to sit down. Uh, it's always wonderful to get to sit down with you, but especially also for one of these reflections. So Reverend Jill, thanks so much for, for sitting down with me. Thanks, Ember, for inviting me. It's always good to spend some time with you. Talk to you soon.